not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Leaning Middle. I'm Eric. And I'm Brian. And today we're going to be talking about the final month, well, the beginning of the final month of Trump's lame duck period with a lot of hectic developments happening over the holiday week here. I think hectic is uh, is a, a soft term to use. I think more chaotic would be, would be a better <laughs> better term to use exactly it seems that every day comes with a new set of surprises um, from the stimulus which was initially approved by his administration and then walked back on and then eventually signed on top of now we're hearing um, issues with president-elect biden getting security briefings from the department of defense and of course we are hearing, yes, exactly, the lack of um, security briefings from the Department of Defense. And of course, more and more and more chaos around the uh, lawsuits and efforts to overturn the results of the election this year. So Trump is busy, but arguably with nothing that is benefiting the American people. And that is what's getting a lot of both just citizens and uh, commentators worked up on both sides of the aisle. I think it really is. And, you know, I had a lot of, you know, we, we took a break for Christmas mm-hmm. and uh, I had a, a chance to talk to a lot of family members through Zoom and, and everything else. And a lot of people were just kind of saying the same thing. Like, they just can't believe we are here. Yeah. Like, that. this is this is what it's come to. And I had some family members that kind of referred to Trump as more of a, um, temper tantrum throwing baby right now. Yes. And um, I, I had some family members that, that referred to him as, uh, you know, just a pure idiot um, mm-hmm. and self self involved. And he has taken a step back from reality and he isn't putting the country first. He's all he's doing is putting his presidency first and, the fact he hasn't been able to come to terms with the fact that uh, somebody is more popular than him or that uh, that he lost this election. Exactly. Exactly. And my question to you is, you know, it's like uh, very clearly he's putting himself first in this situation and refusing to let go of the election results. But it seems like a, a poor long term strategy with him, you know, having said behind closed doors that if, you know, when he does Um, is removed from the White House on January 20th, whether it's under his own volition or not, he wants to run in 2024. And it seems that everything he's doing now, even if it is very egotistical, is kind of forgetting the idea that he will need to come back in four years and will have to answer for this legacy. What what do you think's going on in Trump's head? Do you think he's just not looking towards the future at all? Or do you think this is all pure retribution? I think it's pure retribution. I, I don't think that the guy can get out of his own head right now. Yeah. Um, I, I think he has the inability to look long-term 
or to look out of the fact that he feels like he was robbed. Yes. And, you know, I had a, a good conversation a few minutes ago with uh, a family member and their, their comment was that they feel like there was um, widespread fraud through the election mm-hmm. in certain states, but that they're really disappointed that none of the courts would even look at the evidence. And my comment is, all right, we, we've gone down this road enough. Like, yes, can, we can't beat this dead horse anymore. I think just show us what you've got. Well, that's like, that's if you've the got thing, all this is they don't, they stuff. don't, they don't have anything, you know, I've read, um, I cannot say for sure that I've read all 60 core briefings, but I've read definitely over 30. And the only evidence that they're providing are signed affidavits, which they might mean something to the average day citizen, but in the eyes of the court, they mean absolutely nothing. And right. what they are asking the court to do is so dramatic and will have the impact over hundreds of thousands of people's lives. You know, that's the way the court is looking at it, is if they choose to pull up any of these cases, they are putting in jeopardy, you know, hundreds of thousands of votes that were up to this point, they are legally casted. So they will be injuring the parties that casted those legal ballots by potentially throwing them out. And they cannot do that based off of one person's claim that they saw something And, you know, we we talked about the election in past episodes and specifically how our electoral system is decentralized and which makes it impossible to do kind of widespread voter fraud to the point that would actually change the outcome of an election. So that's what the courts are seeing time and time again is, okay, you know, even if this signed affidavit might be true, you know, we're talking about a handful of votes here and there and nothing would actually turn over the election. You know, this would be. Yeah. It's not comparable to 2000 because we're talking about six states, you know, in 2000, it was, it came down to Florida. This is much more of a decisive victory. Yeah. And and I think what bothers me a little bit is, you know, his, first of all, his Twitter rants, and and this is what bothered me a long time ago. I mean, you know, his, his uh, inability to see past his own needs or his own thought process uh, is, is shocking to me. But I think it was the ju- one of the judges in Wisconsin, I believe, is a judge that he appointed. And that judge was a de- decisive vote against moving the, the um, lawsuit forward. And Trump comes out and blasts him for it and then basically says, um, look at this. I appointed this guy and he voted against me. He doesn't know his loyalties. I know. And it's is, like I read basically those, what he I read those tweets and I just am like, how is anybody uncertain that this man asked for a quid pro quo from Ukraine at this point when he's publicly right. tweeting that he's expecting quid pro quos for these appointments when that is that's just not how democracy works. <laughs> you know, It's like yeah. we, we have so, a constitution that he is asking them not to respect, which is what's worrying me the most is, you know, the lack of respect for what our nation is set on well but that's the problem trump doesn't respect anybody or anything unless it's him yes and and that's been from day one in the media and everything else if you go back and look at some of his interviews and and everything else he doesn't respect anybody unless it's with force and aggression and um uh, it has to do with a takeover of some sort 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. So here's here's what's bothered me the last couple weeks with with Trump is his his lack of participation and his um, his lack of concern mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. average person, his not signing the defense bill. Yep. $740 billion defense, defense bill, which with people who have family members in the military or going into the military, when you read what is, what that is involving, you're kind of getting really pissed off. Yeah, that's um, making sure that our armed guards, you know, without signing that, they, they technically aren't getting paid right now. It's right. It's and, you know, he's throwing the fit over trying to include the repeal of Section 230 of the DC uh, Digital Copyright Millennium Act, which means that it would take all social media platforms and make them publishers, which would allow not allow them to fact check or, you know, censor anything that's put on their platform, which is going to have some unintended effects. You know, maybe it would allow the Republicans to sue them, but it would also help things like child pornography become widespread again it it, it boggles my mind that this is the reason that he's throwing a fit over it is unfortunately yes you know maybe the law or you know maybe section 230 is too vague but to throw it out entirely is is basically putting a gun in your mouth and pulling the trigger so i don't i don't see where this is coming from this is a personal vendetta that's now screwing with our national defense and that's really upsetting me yeah, I mean, the three, if I remember these correctly, and, and I was just trying to look to see where, where these were, but the three things that he put as a reason why he didn't sign the defense bill was the 230 amendment, the um, the lack of ability for him to be able to maneuver funds to um, build the wall, basically, and, and uh, uh, but for him to be able to move funds around which he's only going to be there for another 30 days anyway. So why does that bother him? And then there was the third one and I can't quite remember what it was, but it was, they were all very minute details. Uh, 230 is, that's a, that's a more complicated one. I don't think that one needs to be in a defense bill for sure. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But that one needs a little bit more, more consultation and a little bit more thought process behind I agree. I mean, that's what we see with big tech is the government is continually playing catch up for what the implications of a lot of these things they give the they give big tech to uh, the rights for. And I think that's going to change continually. And I think it's worth looking at Section 230 and updating it with experts in that field. But yeah, it, it is. It's not what needs to be focused on to make sure our military and defense has its budget. Yeah. And so to me, the three three reasons that he gave for not um, doing the um, the signing that bill were not enough to negate the increase in modernization of our defense system to address cyber attack scenarios and situations to give pay raises to our military. Um, th- there was too much in that bill to negate it over a few what I what I'm calling calling and and that you call them as personal vendettas. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, we we then kind of shift focus now, looking at the stimulus bill, which you know I'll be the first to admit, as a 
um, as a left-leaning guy, this was a complete failure on both sides of the aisle. Is this bill sure. was comical? You know, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats in the House completely choked Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate. It was. Um, full of bloat. It is putting a lot of different, it is putting money on a lot of different programs that are completely unnecessary. It's making, um, it's stripping workplace protections. So people who get COVID um, and don't have any sick time or sick leave left from their work, they can be fired for not going into work because they have COVID. Now that is, that's part of this bill that was just passed. And then you look on top of the amount of money going to foreign countries and you just have to stop and really consider, man, you know, why is this all packed into a bill that's, you know, designed to help relieve the stress on the American public when only a fraction of this money is going to the American public? So I agreed with Trump when he said it should be $2,000 for each family. When you look at New Zealand is giving um, individuals $600 every week and has since the beginning of their pandemic. And, you know, to question, you know, a, a country that is the size of Florida is uh, with, you know, a fraction of the population of even Florida is doing so much more for their citizens while, you know, the most the wealthiest and, you know, leader of the free world is struggling to even pass the most basic securities for its citizens. It really it makes us look like a third world country. And I think a lot of um, countries around the globe are looking at America and realizing now, you know, we are we're the uh, we're the super, you know, we're the people who are struggling to find a home but are wearing a Gucci belt. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very bizarre how this bill rolled out, but then Trump's issue with it, he didn't propose any solutions and then he didn't work with the house Republicans to, or the Republicans in the Senate to actually make the $2,000 ask, uh, a possibility, you know, Nancy Pelosi and a lot of her, uh, Democrats in the house came right out as soon as he said that and said, perfect, let's get it done. Let's get this, uh, let's get $2,000 on the table. And obviously that was shot down in the house and it would become a moot point when Trump signed the bill yesterday. So it is, um, it's very chaotic and very weird, but all he did by, he could, this is what the report was today too, is he had a desk and chair and news conference ready to sign the bill on Christmas Eve um, in yep. Mar-a-Lago. And for undisclosed reasons still he decided to forego that and by doing that he has knocked off a full week of unemployment benefits so instead of having 10 11 weeks we're only going to have 10 weeks now for those who are struggling to maintain employment during the pandemic so he's potentially going to put hundreds of thousands of families out on the street or make hundreds of thousands of children go hungry just because he decided eh, I don't want to sign this tonight it is it's very confusing and it's a failure of every every level both parties on you know every level level of the federal government so it's it's sad but it is we're just constantly seeing rhetoric and then no action well and and i think that is really what one of the most frustrating things is is you know it, the complete lack of thought process or or even there is no rhyme or reason to it because he caught even his white house aides off of guard off guard with it even they came out and said 
we were ready for this to go. Like you said, on Christmas Eve, he was going to sign it and we had everything set. And then all of a sudden just gone. So this literally came completely out of left field for people who were even close to him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you and I were not invited to Mar-a-Lago to celebrate Christmas with, with the Trumps. And I don't know why, Um, but uh, we don't know what was going on in there. But at the same time, I was sitting there watching a movie um, at at night with my wife and I kept looking at my phone going, sure enough, I'm going to get this, the CNN or, or AP or, you know, whatever news app, the Reuters news app is going to come on and say, he signed the bill. And I just kept looking and we got closer and closer to midnight and I just kept looking and looking and it just never came. And I looked at my wife and I said, this is absolute insanity. If he doesn't sign this, like I, I couldn't, for the life of me, come up with a reason not to. Yeah. You know, and, and here's where I, I get a little frustrated because they kind of looped in. That was two bills in one. And I get a little frustrated that they put the um, government uh, federal budget in there as well, or not the federal budget, but the operational budget. In I there know they packed well. it into the omnibus. They made it an omnibus bill, which just threw me off entirely where it's like, okay. If, well, and a lot of the issues people were pointing out were in the spending bill and not part of the relief bill. And it's, exactly. it's making it way too complicated for the general public to understand what's being passed. And then they released that bill hours before they voted on it. And it's over 5,000 yeah. pages. And, you know, it was apocalyptic because I saw Ted Cruz and AOC agreeing with each other on Twitter. And I'm like, oh, man, that's when, you know, things are getting bad when these, <laughs> these two are being like, yeah, we're on the same page here. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, people are he's tweet and then he's tweeting out, you know, get rid of the pork. Well, that's in the spending. That's not in the federal relief. And I i somewhat fault uh, Pelosi and the, the Democrats for trying to get some of that stuff in there. Why didn't you break that out and get exactly. the people the relief that they need right now mm-hmm. instead of, you know, putting us in, in this situation where, you know, the I guarantee you the only reason that he signed that was because of the government shutdown stuff. And the only reason he didn't sign it was because of the government um, spending bill in there. Yep. He used the $600 to tie the two together, which I, I think is you we're all right. And he's right. $600 is not enough for a lot of these families, um, you know, but it, it's just and, and here's what really frustrates me. And that is to see him out on the golf course while all of this is going on. I know, Just, I know. I I get that you can do business on the golf course. I've done business on the golf course. I get it. You can get a lot done, and he's got his aides and everything else there. But the optics are awful. And when you look at it, um, there's trumpgolfcount.com. And, and for the record, there is an Obama golf count. This is an organization that does this for every sitting president. Before anybody on either side gets upset, I'm bringing this up. Um, but... <laughs> The uh, the Trump golf count says he has now been on the golf course for 25 percent of his presidency and has spent that has cost the American taxpayer over one hundred forty three million dollars. Jeez. So that puts things into perspective is Trump has now played considerably more golf in his four terms than Obama played in his eight terms. And I know one of Obama's greatest uh, his critics would always call him the golfer in chief and 
chief and Trump has now taken that title handily and very easily. And it's very funny to see the opposition, you know, move the goalposts and say, well, he deserves his downtime. You know, he's stressed. He's doing such a good job. And it's saying, okay, well, then I don't want to hear about any other president taking any kind of break because Trump's taken more vacation time than any president in modern history. Yeah. Well, and here, here's the frustrating thing for me is he's playing golf on his private golf course in his private resort while not signing a bill giving families $600 a week or $600 one-time payment to survive on. No, it's very and, much like And the, to keep uh, from getting uh, evicted. It is very much like the Griswold family, you know, Christmas vacation bonus when, you know, yeah. he's excited to get this big check. And well, what did he get? Like the ham of the month club or something? Uh, Jello. Jello. Yeah, the Jello of the month it's, club. According to Cousin Eddie, it's the gift that just keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, that's what we all feel like is like, finally, there's going to be some relief. And they're like, you know, even us living in West Texas, where property prices and rent prices are as arguably lower than any other part of the country that's not enough to cover rent you know for any family um and it's 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 scary and it's unfortunate and you know both both sides failed horribly but i want to talk to you about maybe the what what kind of effects that this whole situation is going to have in georgia you know mcconnell was initially very hesitant to include any direct payments and he said that he would include six hundred dollars when he heard from purdue and loffler saying that the exclusion of direct payments was hurting their campaign in georgia and then president trump stepped in and said it's not enough and now he put the republicans especially those running for re-election in georgia in a terrible position because they didn't get it done they didn't agree to those $2,000. And now their voting constituents block is saying, why aren't you agreeing with the president? Why didn't you work harder to get things done for the president? Of course, you know, they had very limited power, but that is what their base is thinking currently. Well, but this kind of goes back to what you were kind of mentioning earlier about the negotiation of that package in the first place. His Mark Meadows and um, who's the other guy that, that worked directly with Trump? Mnuchin. Uh, Meadows and Mnuchin. They were responsible for the negotiation of this. Exactly. So it was all approved. Every yeah, they're single, the ones that went in with $600. And every single foreign aid item people are throwing a hissy fit about is was approved by the Trump administration. And in some cases, they there's actually less in the bill than the Trump administration was requesting for foreign nations. We're giving less money to Egypt than was requested by the Trump administration. And I know yeah. everybody is pointing out the one part of the bill, um, specifically sending, I think, $10 million to Pakistan for uh, gender studies. Which is, you know, that was a huge, easy one for a lot of people who are upset with um, PC culture to kind of latch on to. But I always want I always bring up the point that it's important to remember if if one of your beliefs is that Islam is a really horrible religion to women and it makes it harder for them to thrive in a free society, then you also can't get upset when we try to fund generals gender study programs in a Islam, you know, Muslim predominant country. That's it's supposed it's yeah. supposed to help. But 
I don't think it should have been included, but I do think it's it's worth, you know, we we put ourselves in this position because of the military industrial complex and we got our hands into a lot of different conflicts all over the world. And if that's the game we want to play, then unfortunately, we are directly responsible for peacekeeping in a lot of these countries and helping them develop and stay as democracies. So foreign aid is tough, but it's part of keeping our position as the leader of the free world. It is. And, and when you just said conflict a second ago, that reminded me, if you guys haven't tuned in to listen to Eric's new podcast, Conflict Week, I would definitely look that one up and, and listen to that. It's uh, He does quick, short hits on conflicts that are happening all over the world and uh, the impacts that they're having. It's a definite good listen if, if you have uh, a few extra minutes. Yeah, it's so. it's made to be uh, quick and digestible, and it gives you more of an international view than what we're talking about on here. But uh, definitely yeah. check it out if you if you have the chance. But yeah, yeah to so as back. far as those candidates though go, though, I, if I'm those candidates, I'm throwing my hands up in the air. I'm like, what in the world do I do now? Because the whole point of that is, and in fact, I can't remember which candidate it was, but one of the candidates in Georgia ran an ad that talked about the signing of the bill when Trump didn't sign the bill. I know. Like I think that was Loeffler. No, no, I think it was, um, oh, it was Purdue. Purdue. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's even more mud on your face, but I think Trump caught everybody so off guard. I mean, that's an example of being caught off guard right there. He caught them so off guard that these guys don't even know what to do. And they're too far into the process to step away from Trump. That's, that would just be suicide to their, their particular campaign. And so after having backed him for so long, so I think these guys are in a terrible situation. And I think that it, it really makes makes all the Republicans look just bad right now. And I can't I've been sitting here thinking, why in the world did he do it? Like, mm-hmm. what is the purpose of it other than just to torch people? Exactly. And I think it just comes down to him being really upset that Mitch McConnell recognized uh, Biden as president elect on the floor of the Senate and basically said, you know what, the legal options are exhausted. We played this game. We let the president indulge himself. But listen, you know, the the, the ends here like we've seen that that he doesn't have anything like that's what people need to understand is there's no additional research that can be done that will produce voter fraud. Like the investigations have been they've they've searched and worked to try to find something and they can't. And that's the problem. And even those that are claiming there is something specifically Lynn and Sidney Powell, who are both working as independent counsels and their involvement with the government is is hairy at best. I'm not really sure if their official capacity or just kind of working as advisors. But regardless they're spewing, you know, the conspiracy theory that there's some kind of algorithm out there that's changing votes, but they can't they can't produce the algorithm. They just say it's incredibly complex. And it's like, well, OK, just just show it, show it to us. You know, it's like I'm sure we have data scientists who can make something of it. And they're like, and now you want to understand. And it's like, all right, well, then there's nothing like we understand that right. you're just kind of lying at this point. So <laughs> I don't I just don't see what can come of it. And it's it's confusing. So I think that's why Mitch McConnell really did what he did. And now, you know, Trump, 
he he had an aide make a PowerPoint, which was silly. That kind of talked about his McConnell's polling compared to when Trump endorsed him and how that helped him win the race. And obviously there's a lot of outlying factors that weren't considered in that, but that was sent as a blast email to all the Republicans in the Senate. And I have to imagine 90% of those who opened that emails laughed and rolled their eyes. Yeah. You know, their elections are over for, you know, outside of the Georgia runoff McConnell, you know, he can let Trump laugh and make a fool of him all he wants, but he doesn't care. He knows on January 21st, he's still going to be in the Senate and Donald Trump's going to be searching for a property that will actually accept him. Yeah. Well, if I'm a Republican senator or congressman or or whatever my role is, I'm scared because this last last couple weeks has really shown that there is no reason to anything that, that he's going to do for the rest of his presidency and what scares me even more is he is torching and burning anybody and everybody that gets in his way mm-hmm. and that he doesn't agree with or doesn't back his particular thought and what scares me about that is that is him while being president what is going to happen when he's not president and restricted to to any type of um actual being part of negotiations or anything else, he's going to sit on the outside of this thing for the next four years and torch and burn anybody and everybody until it's time for him to run for president again. Mm -hmm. I agree. And And I think it's just going to continue to create divide. Like I don't see him getting the nomination in 2024 now because more than anything, they're saying, wow, this guy might be a bigger liability. If we continue with the party of Trumpism, they might not even be able to retake the house in 2022, which is usually what happens. You know, there's a flip when whoever's in the presidency and they're in a good position to do so too. They are only eight seats short, which is absolutely doable in 2022. But if Trump continues the rhetoric he's using now, nailing, you know, it's Democrat uh, nailing Republicans who are currently in the House and Senate. It's going to have disastrous consequences for the party. And if the Democrats do win in Georgia, they have a likelihood of maintaining a supermajority for four years, which might spell the end of traditional Republicans as we know it. It, it, it's, it's a long shot. Don't get me wrong. There's, you know, America's much more course correcting than I think we give it credit for in terms of party um, representation. But the end of the day he's playing a dangerous game with his and the republicans future well i think that it, the republican party is going to change for good no matter what i, yeah. I think republican party has primarily backed big business mm-hmm. and capitalism. they're having to capitalism they're having to mm-hmm. um change because trump went out and got a lot more of the average middle class working day to day um lower wage following and got them active and yes it, it's it's really causing a problem in the republican party and trying to understand where to go and and how to to move forward without losing the support and everything else that that has got them in power but i think what what's going to be interesting is how many of these people are going to just stay by Trump no matter what, knowing that, that he's done this. It's, 
I, I believe I said it in one of the other um, episodes where I said he may have got some great policy work done and he may have done some really good things for the country, but he is destroying his ego is going to destroy his legacy. Yes. And that is exactly what is taking place right now. All the way down to the the appointments, he, he did this rash of firing people who didn't agree with the election the same way he did, got rid of them and then put in acting directors and acting um, appointments. And some of those, you're seeing it play out now. Some of these acting directors that were put in place are blocking defense um, briefings Yep, and not giving the transition team the information they need. One of the appointments uh, was for um, Holocaust, what was it? The Holocaust um, um, Fund or, or Holocaust de- Department, they oversee um, anti-Semitic um, uh, functions and, and history and, and all yeah, that yeah. stuff. And they put in a acting member on the board that has been seen and has done conferences at anti um, uh, or white supremacist uh, conferences. Exactly. Why, why are you doing that? That makes no sense. And I now remember what it was that um, I like. No, I don't. I remembered it when I was talking just a second ago. <laughs> I forgot it. Yeah, it happens. So, but um, that that is really that's what's bothering me right now about all of this is there there is no predictability and there is no continuity and there's no consistency and and I feel like right now, especially the situation we're in, people it, in general are just wanting some consistency and mm-hmm. some reliability that your government's going to have your best interest at heart. And right now you can't say that with this president. No, exactly. And, you know, we talked so much in this election about the Trump effect producing more Democratic voters than would normally come out. And there's a lot of questions. Is it, Are the Democrats going to be able to sustain the turnout that they saw in 2020 to stop Trump in, you know, future election cycles? And I think a lot of people aren't keeping in mind that the opposite is true, too. You know, the Republicans are seeing the turnout in their numbers because they have united their base so hard around the president. And if he's not on the ticket, are they going to be able to continue to engage this population of people who is, A, more skeptical and conspiratorially minded than ever before, and B, really, you know, pledged their allegiance to Trump and not the flag? So what will we see when Donald Trump isn't in power? Can the Republicans keep that same gravitas that attracted, you know, the lower income, less educated individuals that helped them win the 2016 election? So it is we just don't know what the effects are going to be. And everybody's kind of gambling. You know, we see a lot of different senators and House members just going hard um, for Trump, like Louie Gohmert out of East Texas, who I'm not convinced even graduated high school at this point, because he sued uh, Mike Pence today to try to give Mike Pence the sole power to decide the outcome of the 2020 election. And it's like, sir, that is the opposite of democracy. Right. It's like literally giving the people in power the ability to decide the outcome of the election. And that's like that's what Russia does. That's what Iran does. That's what these nations that you say we're fighting to stop do. 
but then you're saying that we should do it too. So it, it, it's hypocrisy on many levels, but there's less and less people doing that now. You know, he's getting less and less allies in uh, Congress to kind of do his bidding. But the people who are kind of betting on the Trump effect are hoping that, you know, he is a mainstay and does control the party. But he's doing everything he can to make sure he's not viewed as a legitimate leader of the Republican Party moving forward. Well, I think he's doing a good job. Mm-hmm. So, well, um, I think that that kind of covers everything. There's, I know we still need to talk about the Tennessee bombing, but that's going to be in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that kind of covers everything that uh, we were wanting to hit in this one. So, um, I think we ought to go ahead and and move this one on. Exactly, put this one in the books. Put this one in the books, and we'll continue to take a look at what's happening. There's going to be a lot of exciting developments as uh, Biden is inaugurated and takes over power. And there's a lot of storylines that we want to follow. Trump is going to probably announce his bid for 2024. We're going to see if Biden has what it takes to try to unite a country that seems very focused on not uniting. Um, We need to continue to make sure the spread of fake news and conspiratorial thought and see how that changes over time. And we look forward to exploring that and more on all the future episodes with you next time. So whether you're um, to the left or to the right, I think it's time we all lean middle. And uh, if you like what you hear, like, subscribe, and uh, share this with your friends and family. And we will talk to you next episode. Uh